welcome back, everybody, to Angie and Renee podcast with your girl Angie and Renee. Today we have a special guest, Kelly. Miss uh, Kelly Rockstar. Tell me your tag. Tell me what. Tell me what you like to be called. So usually I just roll by Kelly, but most people call me Rockstar. So either or really works for me. We, today we can go with Rockstar since we're also going to be talking about my channel and why I created it, which is kind of our whole conversation. <laughs> so what we're talking about today we're gonna get into a little medical knowledge um i've been looking up articles they've been doing a lot of study on how women are super misdiagnosed first off people are misdiagnosed on a regular basis anyway women are just 50 percent more likely to be misdiagnosed dismissed and mistreated along with that. Yeah. So listen, Kelly, my friend. Yes, Miss Andy. You have went through it. Um, I want you to start with, you know, your webpage, like you said, your uh, tag and why you set it up and why it's important to you. All right. So my um, tag right now on all of my social media forums is one word, Rockstar Warrior Realness. It's my Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, I decided to start this because this year I was given an ileostomy bag or ostomy bag for most people um, due to my Crohn's disease. And the suicide rate is astronomical and I was so grateful that I lived because of this bag that I felt a need to reach out and start talking to other people that like this isn't the end of the road or the end of your life this is the beginning it's something beautiful that you could never imagine and I, I didn't know what was coming to me you know so I want to share my blessings now and I'm grateful y'all have me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Thank and, you. Yes I mean suicide rates especially with something like that has to be high. It's not easy. Listen, people think it's the end. They do. They think uh, it's end all. They are told that. <laughs> like, literally, the doctors tell you you're at the end of the road. There's no medicine that can help you. The only thing that will help you now is surgery. This is the end. They don't say, like... That's a scary thought. Surgery's scary. Like, that's a scary thought. Surgery is definitely a scary thing. Um, anything can happen... Right. Anything, guys. Remember back in the day, people, doctors were leaving sponges, tools, gauze, freaking gloves inside people. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out why the hell they're still sick. They why? should be held accountable, absolutely. Yeah. But that being said, people in the medical profession are pushed to the brink of stuff. They work ridiculous hours. They yeah. literally don't see their kids. They sacrifice all of that. To be doing this, to get yeah. sued because they were tired. Um, you forget things yeah. at work. I forget I things. At, I, we literally <laughs> were just telling stories about how many things Rock have got broke. How many things have you forgotten? Yeah. <laughs> and, and in the medical industry, there's no space for that, right? Because human error is not allowed when it comes to science. And medicine. They're going to replace us all with robots. Yeah. It's already happening. It is. No, but it's true. <laughs> My operation was a robotic operation. They literally took out my eight-pound colon with a robot technique. Oh. How long was your surgery and the recovery? So the actual...
actual surgery was, I think, it was under four hours, and then it took about six hours before I came to and was able to walk. I actually hadn't walked beforehand for about eight months. I mean, unless I was just, like, doubled over and running to the toilet, it was literally I didn't get to walk. So when they said, you're going to walk after your surgery, I laughed at them, um, and then, then I walked. I must have been super relieving. Why wouldn't I be able to walk for eight months, though? If I can ask. Oh, so uh, the pain was it was beyond anything like I can even try to explain. I was living at a pain level. The scale goes up to 10, 10 being the highest. I was on a daily basis at a 9 or a 10, even with pain medication and all of the stuff they were trying to do to help me. Um, so I was literally in bed about 18 hours a day. The rest of the day was spent with me getting up every hour to go to the bathroom and at least every half an hour. So I had no energy. I wasn't allowed to eat solid foods for a few years. So I had really, I was just going off of meal replacement shakes and it was, it was a difficult road. Yeah. Kelly used to roll through with her insurer in a bag and, uh, right. and it's hard. It's hard. It's yeah. almost cancerish, like on your life. Yeah. Like you actually did go through chemotherapy as well. Did you right. know? So, yeah, I wanted to get into that. Actually, it was, um, so I, my whole entire story, I just wanted to go real quick over where I'm coming from personally. Everybody with Crohn's disease has a different severity. Men's Crohn's presents differently than females. Like, it's, it's a whole very complex thing. So as I was growing up my whole life, I went through a lot of trauma. I had a lot of sickness problems from vomiting to the runs. And in my teen years, they were like, oh, you're lactose intolerant. I tried vegan. Y'all, have you ever tried to go vegan? Uh, I, I like vegan food. <laughs> I like vegan food, but I like meat as well. We have had this conversation. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, I am very protein driven, so that was not fun for me. I did not enjoy any of the vegan food that I tried. Um, I ended up like, yeah, just kind of rolling with the fact that I'm always sick to my stomach, and that's fine. And in 2003, I got my first misdiagnosis. Um, they did a colonoscopy on me for my first time, and they said, oh, you have ulcerative colitis. So I was like, oh, okay. So it's like colon ulcers instead of stomach ulcers, and they give me 12 pills a day. You take four pills three times a day for these ulcers in your colon. And I'm like, okay, tongues for the colon, whatever. I felt better and stopped taking them because no one ever told me ulcerative colitis is a very serious thing. So the next colonoscopy I get, they figure out my actual diagnosis. So I have Crohn's disease and a subtype that's rare that's called Crohn's colitis. Um, I never really was able to keep my food down and immediately about well, uh, six months after my diagnosis from a colonoscopy, I was started on chemotherapy and went for an infusion, got home and, you know, did whatever, got my mail and it said your chemotherapy infusion. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? I'm not cancer. Like, I don't have cancer. Yeah. And that started about 15 years of chemotherapy for me um, on and off. There's certain types that are made for autoimmune disease called biologic, and that just means it's a chemotherapy that has a live agent in it. So I was literally taking mouse protein and chemo at once. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> pretty Sounds pretty experimental, I'm not going to lie. Um, 
I've said this before, I feel like doctors work on a trial and error basis. They're like, we think it's this. Here, try all of these things. Yeah. And you're buying pills and eating stuff, and your insurance is just like, hey, well, I mean, co-pays I, out the ass. My mom went through that a little bit. Yeah. You know, with, I, I also had cancer growing up. Um, you know, she took me to several doctors, and doctors were always like, oh, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. Yeah, it's a non-cancerous so, lump, and they're like, oh, wait, no, yeah, wait. And all of a sudden, there was one day my mom was just like, I felt I was sick, you know, I didn't feel good. I had this big lump on my stomach, like it was oh. huge, bulging out, she rushed me to they're the like, oh, yeah, never mind. The hospital, and they're like, oh, no, we have to do emergency surgery, like, right now. Like, this okay. kid, like, he has cancer, you know, and... Oh, like I wake wow. up. Well, thank God you are alive. Yeah. We are very grateful that you are here with us today and survived that. Yeah, I mean, it's all because of my mom. Keep pushing, you know, like, and that's the thing with mothers. They know best. Moms know when yeah. you're not feeling right or, you, you know, something's wrong. And she kept telling the doctor, no, there's something wrong with my kids. Like, there's something up. Yeah. And you got to yeah. keep pressing it. And you know what? Miss Kelly can tell you exactly she feels exactly that. You know, when you have to go and tell them your issues. Yeah, so that was also really awkward for me, right? Because as a kid, I went to uh, a lot of, like, mental therapies. And um, one of these facilities I went to asked the question, do you play with your poo, right? And I'm like, ew, like, why are they even asking me this? This is so weird. Flash to 10 years forward, and I literally have no choice but to talk shit. They have a poster on the wall at the GI or gastrointestinal doctor that is a Bristol stool chart, and you have to point to what your poop looks like. Oh, I know. I have bleeding ulcers, and you know that I have fought this colonoscopy. I will not have it. I will not. (laughs) They will not. They will not acerate me with no robots. I will just stop eating all spicy food, which is what I do. I don't eat anything that upsets my stomach because... I don't need that in my life. <laughs> yeah, no, the fear of all of it, right? Like, nobody wants to deal with that. Or, like, previously getting a bag, I gotta be honest, y'all. They would be like, we need a stool sample. You could take my blood, my urine, you could do whatever testing you want. But, but poop in this not- bag, and then bring it in. <laughs> And freeze it. They tell you to put your own poop in your freezer. She's like, with my food? What do you mean? <laughs> But yeah, you have to really adjust, like, you're talking about stuff that no one wants to hear about. Yeah. Well, I was telling Angie earlier today that my boy actually passed away from colon cancer when he was, like, 22, 23 years old. Oh, bless him. You know, and... Sorry. Nobody caught it. Literally, he woke up. Because they don't test people for that stuff. Yeah. He just, he just didn't wake up one morning. That's it. It's like my stomach hurts. Yep, wow. cool. Well, fuck it. I'll just drink through that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll drink through it. Fuck it. <laughs> and, and with me, too, like, before I got the real diagnosis, I was drinking aloe vera. I was doing all kinds of, like, everything natural that I could because I was like, you know, my body responds better to natural stuff. It still does today. But, um... Back then, that's all I was thinking. was like, how can I get rid of this without having to go to a doctor and talk about it? Yeah. Well, how old were you when you got diagnosed? I Your first diagnosis, not the mental health ones. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, um, at 16, it was IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, and a lot of people deal with that all the time. Um, 
And then in 2003, when I was 22, I got the first diagnosis of, hey, something's wrong with her colon down there. Yeah. Um, by the next scope, when I saw the pictures and the difference from the first one to the second one, it was, like, disgusting how much ulcerations and all. I felt, I literally see the pictures and feel bad for that colon. If that makes sense to you guys. It was yours. Did you ask to keep it? <laughs> I didn't, actually. I bet I you did. Them. That's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for my uterus. I did. They took that. <laughs> I would have asked for a lot of things from these doctors due to the fact that I think I my wife wants it. I actually asked, can you take my colon and the rest of the large intestine and donate it to science? And I was told only after the pathologist is done. Um, and recently, I think I told you, Ann, that I've been getting all these messages like, you need your annual colonoscopy. They're freaking out because I go every year. And I'm like, you guys have my colon. Just ask a pathologist. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I always wanted to keep an organ or whatever, you know, I think it'd be cool to have it just sit in there like, that's mine, but I yeah. can't do that. I yeah. want to help other people, like, desperately. So, what was involved in the whole procedure of having the colonoscopy, uh, your yeah. colon removed? Yeah. yeah, man, so you are normally going in to have a consult about your surgery. You learn everything that's going to happen. Um, they actually asked me, like, where do you wear your pants? So they could properly place my stoma, which is the piece of intestine that we now use on the outside. Like, that's my new butt. But, um, <laughs> I have a butt hole in my belly. My front butt. Yeah, because I'm a Barbie butt now. So, no, uh, we talked about that. And you meet with your ostomy nurse who teaches you everything there is to know about your bag. Um, they're there on call all the time for you. Um, and then usually you wait 30 days. My case was pretty severe. As Angela knows, I had wasting syndrome. So I was fighting to stay alive. I was losing so much weight and I was not in a good place. The colon had infected my body with staph and no, no antibiotics were touching it. So I actually got to go in six days after my consult, which is unheard of. And yeah, I just kind of showed up like, take this thing now, um, done. And the prep was disgusting, not a lot of fun. I had to take two showers with this special soap so that I could be like totally antimicrobial for them. And, you know, just got the IV in and started taking that few pops of that in anesthesia. And all of a sudden I'm waking up colon free. Um, my stomach was flat and it had a bag on it and I couldn't believe how flat my stomach was or how really how swollen I didn't realize that lump in my stomach was my colon so yeah and I only stayed at the hospital I think about five days um, and then my husband picked me up and it was everything was going good and then I vomited and blew out all my stitches and ended up going back to the hospital um, about to be released and had a non-epileptic seizure and had to go into ICU for the first time and I was really blessed because I have a really awesome friend who decided to come and pick me up instead of making we wait all day for my husband so i'd like to just take this moment to say angela you're an amazing friend thank you for that and i want you to speak on what you saw when you came to the hospital i was a skeleton i know that i was scary to look at so i, I want that to be part of our discussion it, it was it was hard i'm not gonna lie um i love you to death and i happened to be off that day which is a rarity in itself um 
I was really worried because I knew you were in ICU. So uh, when you posted that Jeff was going to pick you up at five, I was like, can you leave now? Because <laughs> I will pick you up at noon and bring you to your house. Um, and it was a process. You already know. I was like, I went and you're like, they still have to run tests and this and that. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to grab lunch and hang out in Hartford and then I'll come get you. Um, you're crazy. You tried to get out of bed and walk and you look like a skeleton I could blow over. Um, I have went to visit a couple of my friends in the hospital and it's just hard. You don't know what to say. Um, but you, you, same as my other friend, Amanda, um, were just so positive in the hospital. It's really hard to feel any other way. Uh, watching your interaction with the nurse was funny you guys had like a banter going back and forth and um i just want to shout out how important really good nurses at hospitals are um treat your patients like these people are sick and hurting and confused and scared and like just Without be a good person. Yeah, for real. Your job's hard. You probably work harder than the doctors. Yeah. I have to be honest, the nurses have been more important in my life and in my healing process than my doctors. The doctors are very blunt to the point. They're there for five seconds. The nurses are there all day, and they are so caring and considerate, and, like, they literally are getting beat up and yelled at by the other patients. You can hear them. And working doubles, and so. Yeah, I mean, I remember, not when I was that young, I mean, I remember one nurse, she was, you know, amazing, she took care of me, helped me walk around the hospital, take me to the children's spot to play and everything, but um, I also do remember also when I did get knee surgery, um, that nurse there, she was amazing too, Make, making sure I was comfortable, making sure, do you need anything, do you need this, talk to me for a little bit, joked around with me. And that stuff matters. Yeah, it helps it in the healing process. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah, interacting with others, like, that's when, when people come to visit at the hospital, they don't realize, but you're scientifically actually helping that patient. You're helping raise their immune system and helping them heal by showing up and sharing that love you have. And yes, it's awkward and uncomfortable. Like, I'm not Absolutely. sick. I hate hospitals. You know I hate hospitals, and I still went there because, yes. listen, I hate hospitals. I just do. I hate them. I hate hospitals, but I knew that I could feel. I hate hospitals, but I love you enough to come and get you. And that was, like, so powerful to me. Like, I don't, I don't want to start crying now, but seriously, it was, it was amazing to have someone like that. I was just sitting in my ICU room for hours waiting for you, singing to the nurses. They, like, they had my door open so that they could hear me sing. I thought they were coming to yell at me. And they're like, Chick's like, I can steal you a whole bunch of supplies. You need this stuff for home. I'll just pack a bag. It's fine. They don't pay for this stuff. And then you're like, oh, I'll walk. I'm like, you're not walking. The car is in the parking garage. I was like, girl, if you don't get in this wheelchair and let this lady push you outside, you look like I could blow you over. I'm like, sit down. Sit down. You're going to get tired by the time we get to the end of this hallway. <laughs> I was just so excited that I could walk again. I was like, I don't know. Do everything. And just like, no. you're on a lot of meds, Yeah. I was the same way. I had my hysterectomy surgery like six years ago. Um, same. They told me I could have uh, endocrinitis or I could have cancer. She didn't really know. She did a couple scans. She goes, you have dark spots all on your uterus. I was like, well, 
I don't want to wait until you tell me it's cancerous and already spread to like four other organs. Yeah. I already had my kid. And who really, I'm a truck driver. I don't want my period. Matter of fact, <laughs> just take it. <laughs> She's like, so we're going to do a hysterectomy. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Hold on. You're talking about medical malpractice. So same. I had a hysterectomy. Um, a lot of people have asked me about that as well. And they're like, uh, how bad was it? And I was like, uh, I mean, the lady told me, scheduled my procedure, told me what was going to happen. I went, same, gas, puff, puff, and I was knocked out. I woke up and I was like, oh, couldn't sit up. I was like, they reopened my uh, cesarean fucking scar. And she told me it was worse the second time. She's like, yeah, no, they reopened my uh, scar. And she's like, it's going to be worse healing the second time. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, but I'm crazy, and I hate being in the hospital so much. I tried to make my wife switch places with me because my bed is weighted so I can't get up. And I was like, I need to get up. Come sit on the bed. She's like, no. I was like, I'm about to make you change places so the alarm doesn't go off. I need to get out of here. Yeah, I was way too high for that. Yeah, way too high for that. I was, I was, I was uh, in the hospital. My second day of recovery. Um, she comes in, and the doctor that did my surgery was like, "Do you have any STDs I should be aware of?" And I said, "I'm sorry, what?" And she goes. Do you have any STDs that I should be aware of? I'm like, not only is she a gyno, but she's the one that recommended the surgery and did the surgery. And like, you don't know this. You have my blood labs. You did all so like, what tests did you run that you can't know this? And if you took blood, can't you just go check it? So she comes and asks me and I was like, why? She's like, I cut myself while I was doing your surgery. And I was like, do you have any STDs that I should be aware of? It sounds like you bled in me. What do you mean? And I was like, um, I feel like, and my wife, because literally, Rebecca was in the room with me, and she was my girlfriend at the time, and she's like, um, can we talk alone? I was like, no. What do you need to say? Let her stay in the room. And she's like, I'm pretty sure you could sue her for that. I was like, I can't believe she just came in here. And I was like, I, I'm like, so high, I don't even care. And I'm like, okay, well. You could have Yeah, I was like, that's insane. And yeah. then you come in here and ask me if I have diseases <laughs> you should be worried about. I'm like, hold on. I don't know your life. I was like, oh, that's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> Um, uh, they told me six to eight weeks, especially since it was like muscle tissue, all the rest of that shit. Um, I was like 35. So they're like, you should rest. I'm like, cool, but I'm crazy. And you already know that. Um, I was doing a lot of delivery route stuff, um, in my personal vehicle. So I actually had four or five of my friends come in rotation, run my routes with me. I only had to show my face to the nurses. So I would get out of the car, barely able to stand up fully and stumble into the places and go, please just give me the medical stats that I have to take to somewhere else. <laughs> After I had Allie, I had a C-section. I went back to work three days later. 
Yeah. I was supposed to have, I couldn't stand up completely then either. I worked at a restaurant. I was leaning on the counter, answering the phones. <laughs> My boss was like, you told me to put you on the schedule. I said, what do you mean? I just had a baby. And he goes, you told me you needed money. And I was like, that sounds like me. But I was on pills. Why were you listening to me? I was all drugged up. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? They gave me some really good shit at the hospital. I was not in my right mind, but I do need money. <laughs> Yeah, no, dude, I wasn't trying to come into work. I was just really stoned for anesthesia. <laughs> Didn't you notice that I was... Anyway. I won't lie. I hate waking up after that shit. When they put you to sleep. I don't either. I don't like painkillers. I have a really adverse effect with painkillers. Like, I take them, and I literally feel like I'm an OD. My heart good. starts going... I have low blood pressure, which is good, I guess. But when I take anything that's a sedative, like, I literally get lightheaded. I black out. I've woken up on the floor cold sweating like I'm fucking ODing. And I'm like, I almost died with my kid in the house after my surgery, the second one, the hysterectomy. I literally took the pain pills like the third day, walked in my kitchen, got dizzy, fell down, woke up like covered in sweat. And I was alone in the house with my kid. I called Rebecca crying. I was like, I need somebody to come here. Like, what if I had died and my three-year-old found me in the kitchen? Yeah. I was like, this shit is crazy. Like, fuck these pills. Yeah, no, no. I don't want them. Tylenol. Just give me Tylenol. <laughs> yeah, some of yeah, the medication give you. Try it. Oh, rock Yeah. Talk about the drugs they give you. You know, I also have the one. Listen, I've lost a lot of friends to opioid problems, heroin, pills, like you name it. Um, I don't know a person that I, I went to at least 10 classmates funerals. For me, see, it was like for the pain, it knocks you out. You take them, it knocks you out. You sleep, you wake up, you take them again, it knocks you out again. And that's, and that's what I did for a whole week until my mom was like, Renee, you got to get out of the couch. You got to start moving. Take a shower. Yeah. Once I started taking a shower and started actually like moving around. A week? A week is not an addiction. A no, week is on. a prescription. Hold on. <laughs> after what well, I'm saying is that's an that antibiotic week. run. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> after that week, I woke up, took a shower, got you know, like got dressed. I still had pain because I just got my tonsils like sharded. They burnt my my whole throat. Oh, wah, so, tonsil, yeah. tonsillectomy is like the wimpiest surgery we've talked about today. So, yeah, it was, I, I still kept taking them no matter what. And then even after everything, the pain went away, I still started taking them. Then I started buying them. And I was like, oh, yeah. you know, and it went on for a while, but 
You know, it's just... I know a lot of people that have struggled with stuff I have myself, but... Um, it does make you feel good, though. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Like, that's what I'm saying. I've been addicted to things that have made me feel good. Pills have never made me feel good because I always get that exact effect. It happens every single time. Yeah. And I'm like, nope. Not my forte. Um, I never really understood any of the stuck drugs. People wanted to be stuck and, like, out of it. I'm like, I don't get it. Um, I like uppers. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I like to be aware of my surroundings. Like, same with me. I also, like, I mean, I have in my own biological family people who um, love opiates and are addicted to them. I personally don't like them. They make me wired. They say it's an adverse reaction on the allergy, but, like, I will be, like, up and ready to go and do things and after surgery you're not allowed to do anything for this one you have to stay in bed and I was like how do I stay in bed and do nothing while my my brain's running so I started you know teaching myself another language because I'm like honestly I can't stand being weak on this med I don't like that feeling of stoned listen I love marijuana but I do not like feeling that kind of out of it yeah I mean feeling a different type of out like weed is one thing but you know what? That's to some people. I have a friend that's schizophrenic, and when she smokes weed, it fucking sends her off. The, she's like, I can't smoke weed, and it's supposed to calm people down. She's like, I don't have that effect, and Kelly can vouch. Uh, what is Jeff's effect currently? Your husband has a adverse oh. effect to marijuana, so like, it calms some people down, or it almost kills, you know, well, Kelly's husband. No. Yeah, so he had um, the cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which is CHS, and basically um, he had so much cannabis in his system that it went toxic, and anytime he would smoke for relief, he would get such bad pain in his stomach. He would be like screaming out in pain the way I used to when I had a colon, man, and I couldn't believe that it was actually a toxicity problem from marijuana I've been using. Personally, recreationally, I started at nine years old, so I was like, Tom, <laughs> what you talking about, Liz? Yeah, apparently it is a real deal. Anything in excess can cause any type of health issue. Um, Jeff is also diabetic, so his body fights uh, things that are natural to him anyway, yeah. so it might actually play a part in the reason why his body, oh, anything yeah. over these. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. And, and type 1 diabetes is basically your pancreas doesn't want to work. It's actually autoimmune. I did not know that like, at all until I started dating him. I didn't know that much about diabetes. I now know people with Crohn's and diabetic issues and to not be able to eat normal food from Crohn's disease and then have to have certain foods for your diabetes it sounds like oh my goodness that's a very complex nightmare he just looks so fit though like I would have never pictured him as diabetic he always looks like that too he doesn't have to work out it's beautiful I got <laughs> <laughs> he's a handsome man he's a handsome right, man right. <laughs> I'm so jealous of his hair I am he doesn't have no bad hair I have to say, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but not quite. Um, when I was going through massive chemotherapy, I was on two forms of chemo, one form of a biologic and one immunosuppressant that is now very well known as hydroxychloroquine. Um, Wait, you took Trump's drug? That's Trump's drug. You took Trump's drug? So it's actually Plaquenil and given to people that have uh, um, rheumatoid or inflammatory arthritis. So arthritis medication was going to cure me from COVID. That's <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so that is, we're going to 
worry your immune system and COVID will be fine. Inject some Lysol. We are good. Right <laughs> so I bought all of these meds. It's 2011. At this point, I'm like, I really think I'm dying because I'm waking up and my hair is on the pillow. It's not on my head anymore. And in the shower, it's just clumping out. And chemo. Rough man, and your skin hurts in the shower. But anyways, Jeff was my friend at the time. He came to see me. He hadn't seen me in a while. Last time he saw me, I was about 125 pounds, and I was almost 300 pounds. And opened the door, and he genuinely was like, "Wow, you look beautiful." And we were smoking, and I was joking. We always call him Big Hair. <laughs> I was like, "Yo, how come you got corporate hair now? What's going on with that?" And he's like, "No, I'm working at a corporate place. I have to have the And I was like, "No, man, you need big hair again. Can you grow out your hair for me? Because I want to wear your hair." <laughs> And, um, and fast forward, our first date, he asks me, how long does my hair have to be to cut it? He'd been growing it for three years without saying anything to me. So he wanted to donate it, and everyone at, at work was fine with it because we really thought I was a goner anyway. So there, he was just going to donate it and ended up giving it to me. I still weirdly have his hair, which kind of sounds strange, but it's the way that we went from friends to being in love. Dope, I mean, it's some serial killer shit, but sounds dope. <laughs> I mean, the hair part, maybe. But, I mean, the whole sickness, you know, donating his hair nah, to you, like, that dope. sounds like some Hallmark movie shit right it there. It does. That's good. I've never had someone do something so thoughtful and kind without even letting me know for that amount of time three years like you've seen his hair his beautiful hair you know why i wanted it now <laughs> can i be honest you know that we've talked about this before and uh me and rebecca were dating long distance and probably had only been dating for like six months when i had to have my hysterectomy yeah. And uh that's actually like what bonded our relationship like she pretty much dropped everything, came up there, stayed at the hospital with me. I actually gave her the keys to my house. I was really high on pills. Um, <laughs> I'm like, here are the keys to my house. I mean, my kid was, my kid was somewhere else. Um, and I was like, stay at my house and then come back in the morning. And she came back, brought me breakfast, stayed with me. She stayed up there for like three days to make sure I wasn't going to die by myself. <laughs> hey, we're making a real ride die right now. And she drove me. She was she was one of the people that drove me on my work routes. Mm. A couple other shout outs to some other people that came and literally just drove me around to make money. No, your wifey is the real deal. You know? yeah, exactly. That's why she's my sister because she has done things enough in my life that I'm like, you are like a sister in law to me. You are not fam like you're you're not some kind of like out there friend or friend of a friend. Like, no, I love Becca. She's so good too with passion. Yeah, no. You can you can actually tell she fucking loves you for Oh, she yeah. takes care of me. That's my wifey. I was she like, bought us pizza today, apparently. She, she's my alarm. She bought us pizza to do our show today. She um, a cup of soda today. I was like, yeah. what? Is this for me? You brought her bottles for my party, so you get soda. Even, you know, when you guys have, you know, the flood in your basement and stuff, and I had gone over there, Rebecca was there and took care of me through a seizure while everyone was, like, kind of upstairs doing stuff, and was, like, so caring and considerate and kind and didn't say, like, the next time not to invite me because, like, well, I don't want to deal with that again. She was always just been so caring, and I appreciate that in your life. Yeah, she's yeah. a real deal. But, so, how does... How does Jeff feel about everything? How does how does he handle everything? I know it was a strain. Um, yeah. One of 
you know, he's a writer because, you know, it's a big strain. And, you know, with you being in pain the way, um, how long was it you went without sex? I wasn't allowed sex the first two years of our marriage because I had an abscess. It's, oh, God. So I had a perianal abscess, and I was not allowed sex. It was painful. And then after my surgery, they gave me my designer butt, and then... Barbie butt! <laughs> By the way, Barbie bought no sex for you, and I'm like, oh, okay, and then I finally got clearance right around our two-year anniversary, so the first two years of our marriage was probably the hardest that you could imagine. With his diabetes, we had the lowest of the lows, um, same with my illness, and both my daughter and him watching me deteriorate, I'm losing like 10 pounds a week, I'm in the bathroom screaming bloody murder. Um, and all of the pain, all of the trauma, all of it started adding up and manifesting in a way that caused seizures. So then they had more to worry about. So honestly, Jeff said, if this surgery didn't do it for me, that he doesn't know if he would have been able to handle more. Yeah, it's like, hard. We clumper and watching me die was too hard like and then constantly wondering like how am I going to explain this to our daughter and things of that nature and I know that his co-workers and his friends were down for him they always were really supportive I didn't realize that until after my operation because I was straight in psychosis I am literally still being told about things I did during that time period that I don't remember doing because the pain was that bad yeah but so I mean I've been blessed yes you're still here. Your sex life is back and active. Uh, I get to hear about it the first time, the second time. Uh, and now let me address things that are really important to me. And this, this channel, and, and the reason I even started this channel is that end of the road conversation. And look, the suicide rates, if you look it up online, it's like how many people are suicidal after an ostomy? Um, within three months, I think it's like something 97% feel a high suicidal ideation or 3% feel low. And after six months, that only goes down to 84% That's high so suicidal now. ideation, the hopelessness that they feel. The amount of people that don't feel beautiful afterwards, like I want to reach to them because like they don't have any idea. But there's that a lot of gold at the end of that rainbow, right? No. That's what you're saying. Um, just keep yeah. pushing. Like, honestly, the way that we think, the way that we put the like, thoughts in our heads, like, we have to be very mindful of the, the anatomy of our hope and, and how hopeful we are because it actually makes a big difference in treatment and it helps your doctor in your treatment when you have a positive, out, you know, outgoing way of looking at your life, like, oh, I'm going to make this instead of, like, this is breaking me. It's like, yeah, this is breaking me and I'm going to glue myself together and I'm going to be like a warrior princess. I don't care. And you know what? It's so inspiring. It's absolutely inspiring. Um, like I said, I have you and another close friend of mine, Amanda, that have been through some life-altering stuff. And the most inspiring part was that when I visited both of you in the hospital, you both were so positive considering, like considering all of the trauma and considering all of the pain. Um, you just had this and that's, that's what's important. That's what gets people through. Um, every day that I step, myself, <laughs> that I keep that positive outlook on stuff, my day goes so much better. Oh, yeah, same. And I'm saying it's easy to fall in the hard days. I had one yesterday. I mean, like, 
it's very easy to have a hard day. The thing is to remember, like, that's a moment, and you got to pick yourself up because it's only a moment. Go to it's sleep and start over. Yeah, Reset. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's hard, though. I'm not going to lie about that because I go through my hard times. Yeah, everybody, we all do. Everybody that knows me knows that. I go through my downs, and I do it by myself, you know? All I have is my friends that call me and, like, Angie, she'll call me. We'll talk for a minute. And she'll just say, like, nigga, get the fuck out of this. Let's go. Like, this morning, she called me. She's like, wake up. Let's go. I'm like, all right. Why are you sleeping? I know it's your day (laughs) off, but I'm still at work. You know? Like, shit like that does keep me positive. Um, But Thursdays, that is hard. You know? And Angie's been there for me, and... I gotta say, most people suck and don't answer the phone, but when I call either one of you, you both pick up, so. And even then, you'll hit me with the text, like, I'll call you back. Same. Yeah. She'll be like, I'm changing my bag. Give me five. <laughs> yeah, every time. I swear she knows my bag. Oh my god. Yeah. Only here. Only here. That's the thing. It's like, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Depression is depression. And yeah. it always leads to the same thing. And your mind always wanders and goes to places that should not be going to. But you have so much to live for. You know? And It's yeah. hard to see it that way. Though, right? Like when you're in it, it's hard to be like, oh, oh. you know what? I'm really blessed. And it's the worst. It's the worst. Especially when you're by yourself and there's nobody around and you can't talk to anybody. Sometimes it just it goes back to our mental health awareness yeah. episode. Like, check on your friends, shoot them a text. Hey, how you doing? You have no idea. Like when I was on, actually, I didn't tell, I didn't say speak on this, but before my operation, I couldn't actually speak or vocalize because the amount of pain from using the stomach muscles. She couldn't answer the phone, not at all. <laughs> I am yeah. a singer, and I was that gift of like that freedom that I got from singing was taken away from me, and Angela still called me to leave me messages every single day. I know you can't talk, but I love you, and that, like, that completely helped me get through. I was like, I know you can't answer, but I'm gonna leave this message anyway. You can text me whenever the hell you can type two words, but... <laughs> has a way to lift you back up it's it's a it's a magic listen i have been down my whole life and i am a firm believer in karma and when i first my life is trauma itself and like your first reaction to that shit is to wild the fuck out and that's what i did Drinking, drugging, shitting on people, I don't give a fuck. In my 20s, I was fighting and fucking pretty much anything that fucking moved. And honestly, I went to jail. And jail was my rock bottom. I detoxed so hard, I almost died. They had me on fucking drugs where I slept for seven days straight to not die. And they're like, okay, here you go. And then I realized that I had 200 phone numbers in my fucking phone when I went to jail and not a goddamn person visited me in jail, wrote me in jail. I had tons of friends that I partied with on a regular fucking basis. And it's like, you just kind of disappear from that. And, yep. that's what and I was like, friends and there's 
real friends. No, those were people that came through because I had a house, alcohol, and anything else. And you know what? My mom tried to tell me that when I was a teenager. She's like, these people only hang out with you because you have money and because you do stuff for them. Oh, you drive them around. Yeah. She's like, wait, you're going to see. And I did. Yeah. And when I came out, I'm not even going to lie. Jail actually did wonders for me. It humbled the fuck out of me. I came out and was like, I have to grind for me. I built from nothing. Because when I went to jail, they threw my entire apartment outside. Nobody gave a fuck. Nobody saved shit for me. My dad's funeral flag was in my house. That shit is in a dump somewhere in fucking Vernon. Because they threw my house outside. I was in jail with chicks that were coming in like, yeah, I lived in Rockville. I saw all your shit outside. I was like, oh, oh, that's cool. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Cool. No, my mom told me the same thing. And honestly, I learned it the hard way too. Because when I moved out, I started partying. Everybody was around me. Everybody yeah. was hanging out with me. You're the money. cool kid. At the liquor, at the hotel room. Yeah. You know, like... I was buying dust for everybody, and then all of a sudden, like, once the money ran out, I said, yo, I got no more money. Anybody want to chip in? Everybody just walked away, like, oh, I got something to do, I got something to do, and then, pretty much, I had to move right back into my mom's house. You know, even though I'm, I was still underage, but at the end of the day... It, Dude, when I detoxed off alcohol in jail, I was fucking 20. <laughs> I wasn't even 21. Yeah, because people drink more before they're 21 than they do when they're illegal. Well, sure did. Back then, it was different for us, though. Well, listen. Hard road up. I just started believing in karma, and I have the weirdest luck. Yeah. I'm a strange person. Um, I, I, I try to be a good person and there for people the way I'd want them to be there for me. And you are a good person, It just kind of rolls back. Stupid stuff happens. Like, I get refund checks from my... <laughs> I just got a $1,200 check last month, and I was like, what's this? They are like, you overpaid uh, your mortgage, whatever, so we refund the money. So it makes this account even, and I was like, all right. <laughs> I feel like, honestly, nothing is really the same way that, like... I got a $100 tip yesterday from a customer. It's like, here you go. Just because you're a nice person. <laughs> yeah. He's a teacher. Shout out at Manchester High School. Oh, okay. He graduated... A year before me. Let's go, yeah. Manchester. I was like, Manchester alumni. Hey, hey. He's like, I left you a tip on the porch. Thank you. You're a great person. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, and then you get the tip, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you for appreciating <laughs> it. I don't know what's wrong with people. So let's move forward to now, the present time. How's so, everything for you now? Yeah. So now everything's been a lot better. I'm so happy to say I'm off all of pain medication. And I only, now instead of needing maintenance medication for my Crohn's disease, I use medical marijuana. Um, I use oral form. Everyone hears that and they're like, oh, she smokes mad weed. No, that's an old me. That's recreational. That's not my medicine. My medicine is different oils that I take from the plant that help me. Um, my... Specialist started me on that, I think, like, five years ago. Yeah. And I have to say, like, I did not think it was going to do as much as it has for me. I can totally tell when I take the oral solution, my body feels a little more normal. I am not allowed to take anything that's an NSAID, so any kind of ibuprofen or whatever. If my teeth hurt, I need CBD. I can't use anything else. They will literally give me opioids. They gave me some great CBD for my dog, and it was fantastic. The dog freaking hates lightning. 
I know, I was so excited the last holiday you actually could make it to. Um. Oh, we were the that we were sick for. <laughs> no contagions. Halloween was dope. We had the best time. And, like, you know, yeah, I do still have to deal with the seizures. I am not fully out of the, of the water with that part. But do I feel uh, completely like a different person now? Yeah. I'm To be able to sit down and eat food and share it with people instead of just like, okay, I, I made a dish that I can eat and I'm going to drink my insurers over here. I really felt like an outsider. Like I was smiling, but I wasn't fully happy. Yeah. And this year's holidays have been blissful. Like, you know, I have the best Halloween in my life. Thanksgiving, I thought that we were like, oh, man, I can't believe we can't go anywhere. Jeff's got C. diff. That's super contagious. And it was a blessing in disguise. We had a beautiful moment together just sharing, you know, gratitude for what we've been through and how far we've come. And, um, you know, so now I get to look forward to eating on the holidays. I get to look forward to seeing people. Before, it was always like, I get to make plans, and then the plans fall apart because I'm sick. And that's the worst feeling because other people have so much more understanding when it comes to that. Like, say, if I can't hang out with Ange, she gets it. But I beat myself up about it because I'm like, no, I wanted to go. And body, you're being mean right now because mind wants to go. Yeah. So but that's always been difficult. I'm on five years of, listen, if you show up, you show up. If not, I understand because it's your medical. And I wish I could control it. If I could, I wouldn't even, yeah, it wouldn't even be a conversation. Well, this year it was my first time meeting you and Jeff. Um... On Halloween. You came to my wedding. <laughs> you would have met her there. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. It's always going to come up regardless. Yeah, so. I told you. We're never letting it go. <laughs> it's never going to get let go. Yeah, I know. I missed her wedding. Now you got me on YouTube because now you know me. <laughs> yes, I missed her wedding because I was in Rochester. But still. Um, no, like, you looked. When I, when I saw you in Halloween, you looked healthy. You looked good. You looked happy. Like so positive, joking around, walking with us, talking with us, like, it was amazing, you know what I'm saying, like, you are a very outgoing, very happy person, from what I saw, you know, and... What adult hula hoops? Like, that's literally... <laughs> <laughs> that's literally your side passion, don't lie about it, you hula hoop! <laughs> and that's like some childlike wonder, like, who's outside just going, hula, hula, hula! Maybe some of them actually make money off She's that. She's good thing. at it. Like, listen. Yeah, like, she is good at it. I'm going to twist it. You went from throwing rings to going to them for free just to move and all my chat dudes thought them. I didn't even drink alcohol. I just really like to move. Yeah, I can't like. My, that was, my, I'm sorry, Angie. That was, that was my other question, though. How the, do you do you drink? Are you able to drink? Are you allowed to drink? So that's like totally separate things, right? So yes, I'm allowed. Am I able to? Totally. Do I want to? Not really. Like, I like to have a drink. 
maybe, but usually I am, I've always preferred, like, if I'm going to do anything recreationally, it's marijuana. I yeah. do not drive with that. I like natural things. I will microdose me some mushrooms. I mean, vodka is super natural. It came from this potato. I saw them make it. <laughs> That's why I only drink vodka. I don't drink anything else. Just vodka. When I start drinking other stuff, oh, whiskey's rye and stuff. That's still natural, too. So I can fuck with some whiskey. But when you start doing all that chemical stuff and the colors and the no, I don't want all that lit up stuff. You want me to drink that glow jew stuff on the bar? No, thank you. Keep that. No, thank you. And vodka, I always say, you know, we always say lots of beer fluids, girl. Yeah. But I like, I'm just a tequila person. I like tequila. It's the only alcohol that's not a suppressor. It's actually like a... <laughs> 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 well, I would drink me some tequila, and the next day it'd be like all raring to go. And so I, if I do drink, yeah, occasionally, but it's really rare. Like, it has to be super social, and I have to be. Candy. You did drink the last time you're here. I think you drank on Halloween with us. No, she did. Yeah. Yeah, she had a shot. The blood bag, which banging. Listen, make so, some Bahama Mama punch in a right. blood bag. So, how does uh, alcohol affect you now, though, differently? Oh, you gotta be very careful. It's not her liver. It's a different organ. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> It's not your liver, it's not your pancreas, you're okay with the sugars, you're okay with the... <laughs> you have to be, be kind to your body to expect it to be kind back to you in time, right? So I um, try to be really knowledgeable about what I'm putting my body through. So if I do have like a drink at night where I'm drinking, like I'm definitely not going to be doing that right afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, like that week or that month. But for me, it's it's... It's just, with the bag, I have to hydrate, so everything I drink that's um, caffeinated or alcoholic has to be matched by water. If I'm drinking a like, like a liter's worth of alcohol, I have to have a liter's worth of water. That's a lot, dude. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, but hey, you shouldn't be drinking a liter a night. I'm just saying. <laughs> my wife asked for a bottle collection to make these gorgeous table pieces for my birthday party. And all of the bottles that are here right now are Renee's. He brings two a day that he comes by, and it's been two days so far. <laughs> and I was like, wife, if you just wait like two weeks, I'll have every bottle you need for all the tables. Listen, I'm not an alcoholic or not. You are an alcoholic. You just brought two bottles of whiskey over here for one day. I don't. I drive all day. I don't drink and drive. That is not responsible. No. Well, listen. <laughs> go to a bar. Take a fucking Uber. Fuzz. She said Fuzz. What is this, 1960? <laughs> the Fuzz. Starsky and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch. Now, honestly, though, like, when you were talking about, like, you gotta treat your body a certain way, listen, I treat my body like a roller coaster. It goes up, <laughs> yeah, you up, do. up, down, up, down, all You're like, I go to work, but then I get fucked up. I do. I mean, I like to get, you know, I like to have a few drinks every 
I don't. I can actually skip it most nights, and it's mostly because I spent so long being a drunk person that I don't really want that in my well, life. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, I don't drink every day. I drink on the weekends, usually. I feel like drinking is a problem when you start forgetting to pick up your kids and, yeah. like, shit like that. You're you're calling out of work because you're sick in the morning. Then your drinking is a problem. It's not know. a problem if you go to work. And do what you need to do, get your kids, and drink socially, or when you're home. I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, I don't forget my kids. Yeah, no, you don't forget those things. My kids will always be first, no matter what. Yes. I appreciate that about you, too. (laughs) That's why we're friends. Listen, good parenting is a quality that I need in friends. I have X, and listen, they can listen to this if they want. But facts, I have disowned quite a few friends. One of the most severe write-offs in my life is that you have kids that you do not care about. Yeah. They're uh, with somebody else. You don't visit them. You don't be, care. Yeah. Like, mm, that is, like, one of the biggest turnoffs in people in me. Like, yes. my kids are number one. Always be number one. Even when I was here for Halloween, when I had my kids, like, I had, like, the blood bag, and that was it. Yeah. For that night. Until I got home. Once I drove my But I can drink two shots and be cool in like two hours. Yeah. Um, That shit doesn't even phase me. My kids always come first. I drink every once in a while. Even if I drink on a week, on a weekday when I have to work the next day, you see me. I still show up. Yeah. Late. Most of the time. (laughs) I'm like 10 minutes late. 10 minutes late. All right. I'll be like 10 minutes late. Hello. Where are you? (laughs) Sleeping. I'm coming right now. But I still go in. I still get my job done. Regardless of hungover, he misses his nanny because I used to wake him up for work. He woke up late for work the other day, yeah, and I, I was like, "That's because I don't work with you." When I work with you, I used to call him, and be like, "Where the hell are you?" Yeah, she'll call me at like five forty, like, "Yo, you coming to work or what?" I'm like, "Yep, on the car right now, let's go." And you know, but I'll be, I'll still be there at work regardless of the fact. Yeah, you know, like at six, but I'll still get it done. Yeah, I still get my shit work. I'll, I'll still do everything I have to do. Um, but other than that, like. For me, I drink usually on the weekends when I watch the UFC, boxing, whatever it is. And yeah, I was watching. I was watching the MMA last night by myself until like two o'clock in the morning. But we're going next Friday. Yes, we are. for y'all. I love like We're doing fight night recording. That's our next recording that's coming out. We're doing fight night with the microphones. I'm gonna bring it on the phone. I'm gonna plug it into the phone. It's recording off a uh, record app on my phone and computer anyway. Yeah. That's where it's at. We got two podcasters and a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do have another question for you. Go for it. So, with the now that you have the bag and everything, are you able to still work out? Are you still able to live life as a regular person? I know a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. Oh, you got to be careful because of this. It is a process, right? You have, like, a lot of processes. Like, you have times that you got, like, what's your 9 a.m. wake up? I wake up um, at 4.20 in the morning, and then... Exactly, 4.20. 420. <laughs> I pick my own time. Yeah. And then I empty, I go back to bed, I wake up with, uh, usually by 6 or 7, I wake up, um, and by, like, 8 o'clock, I definitely am up. I'll be up again at 9 o'clock to empty. So, I used to have to go to the bathroom 22 times a day, like, mm-hmm. average. 
Um, is that more than the average? Oh, she used to just live in there four times a day is average for all humans. Like, just yeah. to put that out there. That is a medical stat. Four to five times a day is normal for people. I know, because I'm super abnormal. I use the bathroom like twice a day, get UTIs all the time. It's because I drive, and women don't have bathrooms. Not during COVID, when they were locking you out of restaurants. You know, as a truck driver, how many times I, as a female, have had to pee on the side of the road. You know, Kelly, because I was talking to you almost the entire time. It was awful, but yeah, so I was in the bathroom at least once an hour. At least. Um, and that totally took away from any quality of life I could lead. So mm -hmm. can I, I can't hula hoop around my waist, and I am bummed about that, and Hans does have to hear about that, but I can waste, I can do everything but my waist for hooping. Yeah. I'm allowed to start exercising and have the courage to since I got my operation, so I do like to go for walks and stuff, but... I really want to get in the best shape of my life. Like those MMA fighters, right? They put so much into their, their physical well-being. Mm -hmm. Like I want to do that for my physical and attend to the mental well-being because now that I'm better, I'm realizing how sad I am for that 20 years of being sick that I really didn't deserve and no one does. Yeah, no, and of course. So it's kind of like a grieving process and, and people will say like, oh, they're triggered after they get their bag by things like they don't feel as beautiful. I didn't feel beautiful being sick. There's nothing beautiful about someone who's that sick. So after I got my bag, I found this confidence and I wasn't afraid to be fully honest with people, my doctors, myself, my loved ones. Like this is the way it is. If you don't like it, go. Yeah. And so it's given me, like, a lot of gifts um, in my quality of life in different areas in so many ways that I was like, I have to start a platform because, honestly, how am I going to keep track of all of these breakthroughs? Yeah. yeah. And it's that many. And Ange knows. She talks to me all the time. So it's like, you know, oh, my God, I have to go for my first walk. And then it's like, you know, all of the small things from my birthday I went hiking for the first time in years, and not uh, hardcore hiking, but we went with the girls and we went hiking a little bit. It was awesome, and I was so appreciative that, like, Ange was there during the worst of it. She picked me up from the ICU and then spent my first birthday. That was actually my best birthday in my life. It was because of her. Yeah. And my girl. And she got ice cream. She ate ice cream. We all got giant ice cream cones, and we got one way too big for her face. <laughs> She's like, can I get the five scoop? I'm like, you're not going to eat it. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to. Okay, you, you didn't eat it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. No, but I see You know, there's beauty in everything, no matter what it is. Not poop. <laughs> Listen, if you have a bag on you, you it's, you're still beautiful. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't count. Like I love her not, bags. Listen, she's not, got a rainbow bag, so, you know, I'm appreciative. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, at the end of the day, it, it's not what's going on in their life in general. Like, okay, you got a bag. Oh, I don't want to date you now. What? No, it's the personality. It's the person you are. It's the listen. You I, should always look for other things than like. Listen, my nose are like serious things. Like you don't take care of your kids. 
I don't like people that steal from people because yeah. that's fucked up. We all work hard. Like, that's crazy. There's, like, things that are turnoffs for me, but it has nothing to do with, like, none of my turnoffs have anything to do with. You have problems. Something like, like, what? Like, you know what? Your eyebrows are really fucking weird, and, like, we vibe, and we get along on everything, but you know what? Those eyebrows, they just can't, like, what the fuck is wrong with people? You're... Your channels. I need you to have a job also. I've had multiple chicks tell me they want to do that stay-at-home wife stuff, and I don't know what that means because I have a pussy and I'm not paying all of your bills. You You're need to actually job. you hard need job. to actually have a job and do something. You don't have to earn as much as me. That's fine. I don't give a fuck. But like yeah. you have to work and wanna earn your own money oh, and like have your own money and buy me shit. <laughs> it goes both ways. I demand flowers. Ask my wife. She will tell you. I was like, I want flowers, new ones. When they start to die, get me new ones. <laughs> and she does. She buys me flowers, but I cook for her, and I am an amazing cook. <laughs> you are. You are. But I'm not going to lie. For your channels, I'm going to say, there's beauty in everything. Yes. Um, your story is beautiful, and it's exactly. inspiring. Every... One of you guys, kings and queens out there that have to deal with all this sickness. Like, listen, you, you guys are still beautiful. There's still love out there for you guys. Yeah. It's, listen to Rockstar right here. She's still married. Her husband stayed by her side regardless of everything. And they're happy. Exactly. There's hard times in everybody's life. At the end of the day, just because you're going through something hard doesn't mean that you got to end your life. At the end of the day, there's... Like, you're less worthy, or, like, you know, you're not... You're more... I see it as you're more worthy. At the end of the day, you're more worthy than anybody. You you went through all this by yourself. If anything, it teaches us that all the stuff we were just talking about, all the pain, all the past traumas, built us up to become these people that are stronger for it. Exactly. Listen, so let your pain... Everything you went through. And build you. Honestly, I, I, I've met Kelly. She is fun, happy person, strong as fuck, just like everybody else around in her community. And honestly, like, don't give up. Don't give up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So listen, one more time. I want you to tell me your channel because we're gonna wrap this up. Platforms, your names, and everything. Yes. Yeah, so I, I started Rockstar Warrior Realness, and do you want me to spell it out, or I could just type that You spell it out, too. Yeah. It's R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-W-A-R-R-I-O-R-R-E-A-L-N-E-S-S. And then, um, so Rockstar Warrior Realness, it's about me, that they call Rockstar, being the warrior that I am, and the realness of all my mental and physical health and all of that stuff. You can find me on that name on Instagram, on TikTok, and on YouTube as of right now. I don't have anything else besides that set up. Um, I do have an email that's set up through YouTube as well. So I always encourage people, if you know somebody or if you're going through something, please send me a message. I am so open to talking about everything, so 
Yeah, and I really appreciate you guys talking with me. About we appreciate this stuff. you being on, the, on here with us. Listen, I have always respected your realness, and uh, you know I love you like a sister. So, at the end of the day, everybody follow her, um, support her channels, and you know what? Make Just connections. Yes. Even if you're just making a connection for a friend, if I don't know how to help somebody, I point them in the right direction. Yeah. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, that one little shout out you make matters. Exactly. It, it really does. And the one thing I just wanted to say is like those people that run away from you when the things get hard, they don't get the glory of your story, man. And so it's like, you know, be there for people. And like you've said in previous podcasts, call people care to show that you care and good karma will turn around and come back at you. Just be positive. It takes two seconds out of your day yeah. to shoot somebody a fucking text message that could save someone's life. Exactly. Yep. Seriously. Rockstar, you got anything else to say before we close it up? That is it. If anyone has any questions, hit me up and please make sure to listen to every single podcast because I do. I love uh, listening to y'all. So thank you very much. All right, you guys here from Rockstar. Follow her on all her platforms. And you know, Angie and me, we out. See ya. Later. Later. <laughs> <laughs>